Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, it's time for Charitable Georgia. Brought to you by Bees Charitable Pursuits and Resources. We put the fun in fundraising. For more information, go to beescharitablepursuits.com. That's B-E-E-S charitablepursuits.com. Now, here's your host, Brian Pruitt. Good, fabulous Friday. It's another fabulous Friday morning, and uh, I don't know why people can't stay healthy in Georgia, but obviously we go from negative something to 60-something, so it's just crazy. Anyway, welcome to Charitable Georgia. If this is your first time listening, this is all about positive things happening in the community, and I've got three fabulous guests this morning, and uh, we are going to start with Madge Lovinger from the Bird Insurance Agency. So, Madge, thanks for coming this morning. Thanks for having us. So as they say, the bird is the word, right? That's right. All right. <laughs> we'll talk about the bird insurance agency here in just a few minutes, but if you don't mind, share a little bit about your background. Okay. Um, I'm originally from Georgia. I was born and raised in Atlanta, then moved to Cobb County, spent most of my life in Cobb County, and started in the insurance industry 35 years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, now I own the bird insurance agency in Hiram, Georgia, and we have a second location in Villarica. Um, I'm married to my husband, Brian, and we have a uh, good two- name, by the way. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Great name. <Yeah. laughs> I have two daughters and two granddaughters and two big furry beasts at my house. Nice. Yes. Two, two big dogs. What, what kind of dogs are they? Uh, Ruger is a red bone coonhound and uh, Sadie is an Anatolian shepherd. And I think she weighs about 120 pounds now. Awesome. So she's huge. So did you say Ruger? Ruger. That's an awesome name. Yeah. So if you like dogs, you like big dogs. Uh, it's a shameless plug for March 21st. I'm doing a Hometown Heroes Expo, and uh, it's an organization that we're helping called uh, the Outer Circle out there in Dallas, uh-huh. and they're helping veterans and first responders on PTSD and suicide prevention. And they are bringing one of their friends that runs Paws for Life. We're going to have, instead of a kissing booth, a hugging booth. Aw. And you can get a hug from Rufus. Oh, <laughs> Rufus, uh, I'll show you a picture when we get off the air, but Rufus is a massive dog. He likes to stand up and he actually hugs you. Oh, nice. So come get a hug from Rufus. Yes. Remind me. I want to put that on the right. schedule. I'll do it. Do it. So, all right. So you are very active in the community, not only just networking, but you're very, um, you love supporting the community. Yes. So, um, first of all, share a little bit why it's important for you to be involved in the community and do what you do. Well, I mean, that's how we make our living is off the community. You know, our our customers are our, our community. And so I think it's important to give back to the community. We do um, – one of the longest projects that I've done is we give back um, dictionaries to all the third graders in Paulding County. It was started by our Rotary Group. Excuse me. And we've done that for about 15 years. And you wouldn't think that kids nowadays would want a book, but they still do. We've asked the teachers, and they're they're like, yeah, it's still a viable thing. And it's so cute to see the kids get their first book, you know, and still – Flip through it, which is nice. And we had a story about one kid actually that went through college and he still had his dictionary. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And still used it. So that was good. Um, another thing we do is, uh, Next Step Ministries. They have a 5K. And so we've done that for a couple of years. I think, Tim, this was the first year you were involved with that, right? Yeah. Yes. And, I believe so. Um, in Cherokee, we do the, uh, Women's Service League. Um, they have a 5K run, and then they do a golf tournament, and we've been involved with both of those things as well. Uh, this year, we did a uh, suicide walk in uh, Paulding County uh, for suicide awareness, and that was really touching. You hear some of the stories from the people, 
right. and uh, things that they have overcome. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Well, in the last two years, last year and this year, you've uh, been a sponsor of mine that I do in Bartow County with the trivia for uh, giving back charity of different, uh, you know, nonprofits. So I appreciate you doing that. Um, so, um, as I mentioned, you also do a lot of networking. I see you different uh, function as well. So, uh, we talk about networking on here as well. Can you, you got a positive uh, testimony about networking you could share? Yes. So far it's been positive. Um, Tim Rogers, who's with me today, actually, I met him at the Marriott Business Association. This is true. (laughs) (laughs) So that's been a positive, um, story that I have out of that. Uh, Marriott Business Association is another group too that's really, really good about giving back to the community. Their golf tournament and they have two other fundraisers that gives back to a, ch- a different charity each year. Um, similar to you, except you give to a lot of charities. Right. But they, they usually pick one or two and give back to, so which is good. And then um, Kennesaw Business Association, I believe, also gives back. I know they give back a lot of uh, scholarships to local kids in Cobb mm-hmm. County. Um, so that's a good positive thing. Um, you know, it's just getting out in the networking and in the community and talking to people. And just making those connections. I mean, like the other day, we got a call in the office for a lady that I met through a networking group 10 years ago, and she called me for a quote. Well, it's, uh, as, that's what we talk about, too, is uh, first of all, people – I still run across people going to networking events for the wrong reason. They're trying to yeah. always get that sale, you know, and, that, and it's more about that's relationship building. It is. And it's not going to be an immediate thing. I mean, you just said 10 years ago, and they called you, so and they remember that, so – um, all right, let's talk a little bit about the bird insurance agent. You said you're in Hiram and you have a Villarica. Uh, share about you guys. What all insurance do you guys do? Okay, so bird insurance is actually the oldest independent insurance agency in Paulding County. We were founded in 1910, so we are the wise old owl of insurance. Nice. Yes, yes. Um, we are uh, right next to Clark Funeral Home, if you know the area. And we've been there, well, the agency has been there since 1910, but we moved the office about five years ago, um, right next to Clark Funeral Home. And then I, last year, I purchased another agency out in Villarica. It's a smaller agency, but it's right off Bankhead Highway. So, Okay. Yeah. And we do um, homeowners, auto, <clears throat> excuse me, business insurance, umbrellas, workers' comp, things like that. Um, we, do, we also do life insurance. We don't do health insurance. That's about the only thing we don't do. Right, right. Um, all right, so give a little bit some uh, some tidbits, if you don't mind, for insurance, because uh, I know that's kind of a crazy industry. Uh, you got some tidbits you want to share? This is my time to shine. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I'm going to yeah. let Tim take that. So <laughs> in the crazy world of insurance, right, we're, we're always doing our best to, to save money and, and, you know, make sure that we protect ourselves. You know, one of the things that a lot of the conversations that we're having with our, our friends and our clients um, is, hey, why is my bill going up? Why our rates are up, right? Because they're up across many different lines, personal, home insurance, home, auto, business. Um, and there's many factors that contribute to that. Uh, one way that we kind of combat that is taking a look at their individual policy, looking at their coverages, suggesting, recommending changes. Um, we've got several providers that we we contract with. So the great thing about being in the independent model is, even if one company goes up pretty significant uh, on their premiums, you know, we can shop that around with other companies that, that haven't. And then we can also look into additional discounting opportunities for our, our clients, for those that are willing to take advantage of it. Um, and, and trust me when I say we've had to be very, very intentional and creative with the ways that we've helped people save money. Uh, cause sometimes it can seem like everything that we're doing is, is just for nothing, but, uh, we're helping people out and that's, that's what we do it for. So we're excited about that. So, um, what kind of things, uh, do people, 
need to look at and think about when they're coming after insurance. I mean, there's, I know there's different things you can get under like the umbrella policy and stuff like that, but there are certain things that people don't think about that you uh, can maybe talk about that people should look at. Yeah, all the time. So here, here's a big one that I, I tend to have a conversation about every single week. A lot of people think if they don't have a vehicle that's in their name or registered to them, that they shouldn't be on an insurance policy. It's kind of the the, the big misconception uh, with with regular people in society. What they don't realize is that really puts them at a at a detriment when it comes to their insurance, because so much of how you're rated as an individual really comes from your prior history with insurance. You know, how recently have you had it? In addition to several other important factors, like what are your limits of coverage and liability? You know, in the state of Georgia, the state minimum requirements are very, very low. Most people think that because of that, they're going to save the most money on their insurance if they select that when in in reality, it's the complete opposite. They're actually going to be rated much higher. And even when they shop their rate with no activity, no claims, things of that nature, they, they're, 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 they feel like they can never get something that's more affordable. Um, so that's, that's one thing that we tell everyone. If you're selling a car, getting rid of a car, um, stay on a policy. Even if it's not your own policy, stay as a driver or a listed operator on a family member's policy because it'll keep that history going. And when the time does come for you to get another vehicle in relation to auto insurance, you're now getting rated at a better category or tier, if you will, than someone that has no history or no insurance at all. So there's a few things. I got, I got lots of questions, so be ready for the ride. Uh, let's go, Neil. Uh, so, um, so I know I've heard some people talk about pet insurance. Yes. Um, you guys do that as well. We do. Yeah. Um, why is that important? Because vet bills are going up. Right. (laughs) Just like any other. Outrageous. I know. I just took my dog in the other day, Ruger. He's a senior. And I took him in the other day to get some blood work because he's been taking some medicine and it was $285. Wow. I mean, that's more expensive than my blood work. Right. With health insurance. Right. So what does, I mean, what does that look like when somebody says, I want to do pet insurance? What all does that, what what will it cover when you take your, your, your fur baby to the doctor? My fur baby. Uh, most of the policies, we've got three different carriers that do it. Um, they cover like, uh, two wellness visits and then they'll cover the vaccinations, um, like the rabies and the, uh, what is it when you go? Shots, no. yeah, the shots, the bar- dewarming and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, dewarming, all that kind of stuff. And then, um, you get a discount if there's an emergency visit. Okay. Yeah. Uh, is, it, is it all kinds of pets? Or are there certain pets it won't cover? I have not had a pet that I couldn't cover yet. Even a fish? Haven't had anybody ask me about a fish. <laughs> I'm going to say that's probably a hard no. <laughs> Darn, I was going to ask you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So now let's talk about, uh, I guess, flood insurance. I mean, there are some, uh, it's hot, happened here. Um, and most people probably don't think about that. Um, talk a little bit about flood insurance. You want me to do that? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Flood, flood insurance is important. Uh, I think first and foremost, when we talk about that as, you know, agents in the industry, um, you've got to be in what's known as a flood zone. So a lot of people think, well, I've got to get flood insurance, right? So there's, there's two, there's two requirements that, that generally happen in the marketplace. So there's, there, you're in an area where you have to have flood insurance, right? And then if you're not in an area that's zoned as a flooding area, you can still get flood insurance. Um, so we have to understand the difference between the two when it comes to homeowners. Um, also understanding that within traditional policies for your home, generally flood is excluded unless you have a flood policy. 
Okay. So that's the biggest thing that we really have to make sure that our clients and customers are educated on. Just because you have home insurance doesn't mean that if there's a flood, it's going to cover it because it's not. You know, that's a big exclusion for homeowner policy. So, um, if there's been a history of those type of events happening on your property or on your home, in my opinion, we need to make sure we secure that for you as an individual. So are there other, I guess, acts of God in kind of insurance, if a tornado or a lightning strike or anything like that, are there other insurances for those things? Now, if uh, lightning strikes or there's a storm, that is covered under your homeowner's insurance. Okay. Um, earthquake is about the only other thing I can think mm-hmm. of that's not covered. Um, but we do have – and we do have a fault line in Georgia. Um, so there are earthquake policies that you can get as well. We've got two carriers that have endorsements on their policy. Okay. Um, all right. So I got a scenario for you. Uh, you you, <laughs> you live on a property, and behind you is another property, and a tree from that property falls on your fence. Who is the one responsible and whose insurance takes care of it? Now, we have the right answer for that question, but just out of curiosity, who do you think would be responsible for that? Uh, the persons that the property it fell off of. Correct. That's absolutely correct. So, and look, this happens a lot more than people think, but uh, you're absolutely right. If you have a, ha- a tree in your yard or in your on your property that falls on someone's home, their vehicle, their driveway, you're responsible for making sure that if you have the proper coverage that they remove that tree and, and also cover any, you know, repairs or damages that are caused to the property. So I've had some people that told me it was the other way around and I never believed them. But so what are safeguards for that? Because I'm sure there are people out there who says it's the other way around. Well, it depends on the situation. If, um, if you have it noted or you have an um, arborist come out there and say that, that tree is dead and you've notified your neighbor that that tree is dead and that tree falls on your house, then they knew. So they're responsible for it. If in a storm situation, it depends, excuse me, um, the insurance company, your insurance company is going to pay for your house and your damages and the removal of that tree. But the part of the tree that's on the neighbor's property, that is their responsibility. Okay. And so, and if it damages your, like the fence, then they will take care of it or your insurance, then then go after the other insurance company. Your insurance could take care of it too. Okay. Yeah. All right. And does that stuff help that then make your rates go up then if that's the case? Homeowners insurance claims do not make your homeowners policies go up. Okay. Yeah, they just have increases. Okay. All right. <laughs> but you're not surcharged. Now, auto is different, but the homeowners is not. Okay. Um, all right. Let's talk a little bit about renter's insurance. Why is that important? Well, renter's insurance is very important because when you're renting, I mean, you've got valuables and things that are important to you that stay with you, right? Whether it be, um, uh, you know, personal property and, and people say, well, what is personal property? It's, it's your stuff. Okay. <laughs> it's everything from clothes to electronics, to appliances, to furniture, uh, anything of value that, uh, you keep in your apartment or your home or, or wherever that you rent, you want to have coverage for those things. God forbid there's an accidental fire. God forbid you accidentally have a mistake in, uh, you know, with wherever you're renting, where those things are destroyed. If you don't have the proper coverage, that's a big loss that you're taking, and you've got to be the individual that comes out of pocket to replace all those things. So renter's insurance, you know, one aspect is for the personal property, and then, of course, the other important aspect is for the liability. Uh, anything that can occur um, on that property or in that home or in that apartment that you could be responsible for and, and, and that someone could try to sue you for as well. So what about folks? I'm assuming you're t- we're talking about people living that rent homes and apartments, correct? Correct. What about storage? If people have storage units, I know store, some storage units, like we have a storage unit and they make you purchase insurance through them. 
So that depends on which carrier you have. We have several carriers that will cover up to 10% of your personal property on your home or your renter's policy in a storage location. So if you own a home and you're, let's just say, your personal property coverage on there is 200000 So 10% of that will go to your storage location. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you'd have $20,000 worth of coverage. Right. Okay. But it's also important to remember it's for a period in time, right? So so here's 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 the thing that I'll say about kind of what agents will tell people. You know, first and foremost, for anyone that's listening, you have to remember that not all insurance agents are created equal. Uh, this is a huge- And policies. And policies. And policies and companies. So- there's a lot of moving parts to what happens in the insurance industry. We have to really know what's going on and we have to really know the rules, the regulations, uh, the things that are covered, aren't covered within the providers that we have, you know, that we, that we place for our individuals and also how that applies to real world situations and scenarios. Um, generally, if someone is moving their personal property to a storage unit permanently, right? Yes, for a period in time, their renter's policy will cover that but it's for a period in time. If it's going to be there permanently, there nine times out of 10, we're going to suggest and recommend unless I'm wrong with that. I'm going to correct you. Actually, let my boss correct me. <laughs> see, this, see, this, this, this is a prime example. It's a learning experience. It's a learning experience. But he's right. Um, not all policies are the same, but we do have two carriers that will cover the stuff in storage permanently. Yes, yeah. but it has to be an endorsement. Yes. Typically. <laughs> yeah. Do you, uh, obviously, I guess there are stories, like I said, they, they made us get that insurance through them. Do you recommend having both through through an agent as well as what they I'll let you answer that one because my answer would be no. My answer but, would be no as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. All right. You you can't collect from two different policies for, for the same incident. Okay. So why? All right. Good to know. All right. Let's talk a little bit of, for somebody who's listening and still confused a little bit about the insurance world because it's very confusing. Very Explain confusing. what a number of policy is. I mean, I could do that, but you could do that. See, okay. My boss wants to put me on the spot to make sure I'm up to game. But uh, it's like turns the back. The to best, what are you talking? About? The, the best way that I explain an umbrella, uh, a policy, it's excess, it's extra coverage, right? Uh, that's for you, the individual. Uh, when something major, a claim, an incident, a loss occurs, uh, that can provide protection for not just your auto insurance, but also your property insurance, right? Um, this also translates in the business world. You can get umbrellas for bit for commercial policies for businesses, but they are separate. So you have, you know, umbrella policies for your personal insurance needs, your home, your auto. That's also any additional items you may keep in your home that have insurance, things like um, like boats, things like uh, RVs, things like campers, things like, uh, you know, the fun tours that certain people have, like four wheelers and things like that. Right. Right. If, if there's a potential that, you know, these toys or these things can can injure someone or create a loss or be stolen or what have you, uh, you want to have a certain amount of coverage to protect against all of that. For one thing, but then also to make sure that if something happens that you're responsible for, you don't have uh, someone hiring a lawyer or trying to come after you and sue you for your assets, right? So that's the other big aspect of, of what an umbrella sh- and policy is for. It's excess coverage. And it, you know, we call it in the insurance world, we call it an umbrella policy because it kind of sits above, you know, the limits of your home and your auto. Right. right. So that's why it's called an umbrella policy. Okay. Uh, and then the last thing I want to ask about is uh, collectible insurance. I have a big collection of sports cards and sports memorabilia. Other people do antiques, things of that nature. Um, first of all, do you guys 
do anything with that. And second of all, why is that important? That's important because on your homeowner's policy, they specifically put a limit on uh, collectibles, jewelry, guns, silver, gold, things like that. Um, there are specialty companies out there that will ensure collection. And I'm trying to think of one that we had. Uh, lady collected um, those little figurines called Hummels. Yeah. Yep. She collected a bunch of those and she had like $20,000 worth of those wow. things. So she had them scheduled. Um, you do need to get them appraised. And then uh, there's a specialty company that can ensure that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right, so Madge, I'm coming back to you for a second. Why did you choose to get into the insurance world? Wow, that was 35 years ago. I actually answered an ad in the newspaper <laughs> for just a service rep and went in there. And uh, the lady that I worked for, um, Linda Adrian, was a great mentor, actually. And she encouraged me to get my license. And so I did. And she said, well, when you get your license, you can get more money. And I said, oh, I can get commissions? Okay, sure. (laughs) So I just sort of fell into it, to be honest with you. But I like it because um, you get to deal with the people, uh, good, bad, or indifferent. Most of them are good. And it's a learning experience. I mean, it changes every day now. Right. <laughs> it's a different experience. Right. Well, and it goes to your, to your service heart as well because you're, you're you know, the helping, helping folks. Yeah. So, so that brings me to another question too. You, you, you said it, not all insurance agents are created equal. When somebody's looking for an agent, what, what should they look for? Oh man, I get asked this all the time and I think my answer changes every, uh, every other week, but, um, to keep it consistent with, with what I believe to be true, I think, I think the most, you know, important things that someone should consider when they're looking for an agent or an agency. Obviously, service is, is a big part of it, right? Um, professionalism, being kind, uh, being informative, um, relating with that individual. So, so the service aspect of, of you know, you want to make sure that whoever you come to or whoever you seek out, they're going to be responsive. They're going to know what they're talking about. They're going to be able to help you. Um, obviously, cost of value when it comes to the numbers, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, we can talk about insurance all day long, but how does this really affect us? Well, it affects our hard-earned money uh, for everybody, right? And we all have to have it in, in certain ways. So um, that's generally a motivating factor for most people. Um, service is another motivating factor for most people. Uh, and then claims help. And then making sure that when there is a potential claim or when they have questions about that claim or when they think they may need to file a claim, you know, we're not just being their agents, but we're really acting as advocates and uh, advisors, even if you will. And I know that's a word that people may kind of laugh or smile at, but in all reality, a lot of our clients look at us as their insurance advisors more so than just their insurance agents, right? Because we have to understand how to navigate the world of insurance and and, and most insurance agents, if not all, we're all middlemen, right? You know, you have the the insurance company on one side and then you have the, the consumer on the other side and we're right in the middle. So we have, in my opinion, an obligation just as important to the consumer as we do the company. Uh, and kind of bridging that in the middle and making sure that there's fluid converse, you know, fluid, a fluid relationship and fluid conversation on both sides to where when there is an issue or there is a problem, we're mitigating that pretty quickly. We're getting in front of that pretty quickly. And then we're also making sure that we can be there for the individual. Uh, you talked a little bit about this earlier, but being an independent, you guys like brokers, right? So you can work with all different agencies. Um, what kind of an advantage, other than the fact that you've got the multiple agencies to look at, what other advantage is that to working with a, a broker like yourself? Whereas, you know, you still might be going with a, a named, right? Big named agency. And so then, well, well, then why would I work with you if I just go to them? I think there's pros and cons to both. Um, 
and I'll, I'll be real brief with my answer, but you know, how I got into the industry was, was working for a direct all state agency. So I was, you know, agents call that the captive or direct side of the insurance world where you just represent one provider and you're, you know, you're bound to the rules of that one company. Uh, the benefit of being independent is you get options and consideration for multiple providers, right? So, and you pass that on to the individual. So when you only represent one company, you can only represent one company, right? right? So if that one company is astronomically high on their rates and their guidelines are strict and tight and, 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 you know, you can only quote, X amount of people that kind of fit the box, right? That's a disservice to someone that may not fit in that category. Right. When you're independent, you learn and you develop what kind of works best for certain individuals. Uh, and you're giving them options and it, it, it puts more of the experience on them in terms of the buying power, if you will. Uh, but also understanding that if they've got choices, right? And then it's our responsibility as the agent to to articulate and be competent on what we're providing to them and making sure that they can make the best informed decision. And that's really what it's all about for us. We want to give you the best, we want to give you the best knowledge, the best information so you can make the best decision for yourself on where you're going to place your coverage. Okay. Can I ask Tim sure. a question? Because sure. Tim came from a captive and he's new to us. Would you ever go back? Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, nothing against the captive world of insurance and direct companies, uh, again, there's pros and cons to both. I think the pros and the positive things that come out of being in the independent market far outweigh any of the negative things that can come from this. I'll never go back. Uh, I love the fact that we have the ability to offer so many different solutions. Um, and it, it just, it makes, it makes the day to day better. Also, I, I feel like there's, there's, you know, like, like was mentioned before, I mean, with what we're seeing now in the industry over the last three or four years, I mean, every day is different. Right. Um, and I, and sometimes you do feel like you're hearing something bad or good every single day that's going on in the industry right. uh, and how it affects people. So um, independence better, in my opinion, I think most people on the independent side would say the same thing. Uh, but then again, if you spoke with 10 agents that were captive, they'd probably tell you that captive is better. So you're going to hear it's going to vary. Right. But I like giving options to our people. So talk about some of those. Uh, I'm actually with a, with a broker myself and, uh, been with him for quite a while and he's very proactive too. Like you guys are with those, you know, customers and clients. And matter of fact, I mean, he, I, my insurance was going up and before I could get the phone in my hand, he called me to let me know we're, we're switching. So we try to do that too. Right. So, and that's awesome. That's what I appreciate about, uh, you know, folks like that for you and, and other, uh, brokers. But what about these insurance agents that, uh, agencies that, that you guys have as options that people may not have heard of what, what kind of things are hurdles with that trying to see, you know, well, I don't want to go with them because I've never heard of them. That's probably the biggest hurdle that we have as independent agents, because some of our carriers don't advertise. Like we do represent progressive. They advertise on the TV. Everybody knows flow. Right. And, um, we also represent Safeco. Some people have heard of that. Some people haven't. Um, people have heard of travelers. Again, they advertise on TV, but main street America, um, we have uh, Grange, Donegal, Southern Trust. These are more regional carriers, and they don't advertise. Um, that also helps control their cost, too. Wow, because that's a good point. These, I never yeah, thought of that. Yeah, some of these regional carriers are very in, inexpensive because they are regional, so they price their products for the region that they're in, and they don't advertise. They advertise to us, the independent agents, and they're A-rated carriers. So they're not non, non-standard companies, but these companies just don't advertise as much as some of the bigger names. Okay. Yep. And I'd like to add something real quick, sure. to that, real quick to that. So manager is absolutely correct. And for any of, the, of you guys that are listening, most people know who the big companies are. 
Allstate, Farmer, State Farm, uh, you know, Liberty Mutual, uh, Nationwide. Stop giving them advertising. Sorry, we're not giving them <laughs> advertising. But the point that I'm trying to make is there's some really cool insurance companies out there that like no one's ever even heard of. I mean, really, there's some really cool companies out there that do some really neat things and that really pride themselves in the way that they take care of their people. Can you give an example? Uh, absolutely. Donegal. Uh, Donegal is a great company. Donegal is a great company, and they give back to the community as well. Um, they have given us money for advertising and for some of the charitable events that we've done as well. Awesome. Yeah, so they do give back. Southern Trust does something every year, and uh, it's with their staff. I think their staff goes out and volunteers in the community there in Macon, Georgia. And Grange also gives back to certain uh, charities. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. But these local carriers, and they don't get a lot of um, – uh, press, if you press, will. Yeah, notoriety. Press, yeah, they don't get a lot of notoriety for it, but they do give back. That's awesome. All right, so we've heard you talk, Tim, but we're going to get to know you just for a little bit. So, Tim Rogers, Boat Insurance Agency, welcome this morning. Welcome. Good morning. Happy <laughs> Friday. <laughs> Mr. Rogers is in the neighborhood. That's right. He's in the neighborhood. But you don't have your sweater on. I'm disappointed. No, not today. No. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, just share a little bit of a background. If you don't mind. Yeah, here's here's my background. I'm uh, Tim Rogers. Full name's Timothy Rogers. I actually grew up here in Georgia, but I'm originally from Texas. So I am a Texas guy. I was uh, born in Dallas, Texas, uh, but I've I've spent the majority of my life here in Georgia. I grew up in Paulding County, uh, Hiram, Georgia. Back when Hiram used to be considered you know rural and country, and now it's completely suburban and almost metro. But um, and everybody knew Travis Truitt. That's right. Everybody knew Travis Tripp out there. Yeah. I think he actually still has a <laughs> yeah, mansion. Yeah, he's still out. there. Yeah, he still has a mansion out there. He does. Um, I live down the street from him. I used yeah, to live nice. right down the street ah, from him. <laughs> nice. Very, very nice. But uh, yeah, I grew up there, went to you know high school, middle school, uh, elementary out there. Didn't go to college. Coming out of high school, I thought I wanted, uh, I was 18 coming out of high school thinking that uh, I had different aspirations to do different things. So I kind of went into the workforce. Um, but I love people. I'm very energetic. People always told me growing up, I should get into sales, uh, some form of sales, some part of sales. It took me a while to kind of finally believe that within myself, but I got into the insurance industry uh, back in 2019. Um, I am married. I've got two kids. I've got a, a two-year-old, uh, two years and four months, and man, that's a wild and fun time. Keeping I'm, you busy, running around. Always keeping me busy. And I'm, <laughs> I'm also a stepdad to an 11-year-old, and, and he's such a great kid. And uh, I've been married to my wife for uh, close to two years. And, you know, we, we live here in Canton. We love the community. Canton has changed so much over the years, just like Woodstock. And uh, we love to see all the positive growth. Um, I'm very much an outdoorsman and a sportsman kind of guy. Love love being active, love being out in nature, exercising, working out. Uh, sometimes you'll see me on the court playing basketball, you know, things things of that nature. Uh, do do my do my best to, to be active and, and, and find ways to do that within the family. But yeah, that's a little bit about me. So uh, again, you're very active in networking. I met you at the NBA a few years ago. You just talked about the Canton Business Club a little while ago. So share some positive uh, experiences you've had with networking. I think networking is great. And I'm a big believer in having and, and creating and finding balance, right, with whatever you do when it comes to your business. So for me, networking is a big part of that. Uh, I do believe you can network too much. Oh, yes. And I, and I do believe you can network too little, right? If you network too much, how are you focusing on yourself and making money and, right. and doing what's important to you? But also if you network too little, how are you getting yourself out there, creating relationships, uh, meeting people? Um, Madge, is, Madge was absolutely correct. I mean, 
we serve the community, right? Um, we benefit off of that. So it's only right that we continue to pour our, our time and our effort and our, and our dollars back into the community, uh, the wonderful communities that we serve. Um, what, what I love about different networking groups, uh, they're not all the same. Uh, you get different personalities, different people that come from different walks of life. Uh, and then there's different industries that are represented in, in, in different groups. So I do my best not to, um, be biased towards certain groups and to always be open to meeting new people, learning about people, but most important, making it personal, making it personal right. with that individual. Right. I think if we can do that better, we'll see such a positive increase in, in, in relationships growing with, with others. Right. So you talked a little bit just about it being part of the community, but why is it important for you personally to be part of the community? Important for me to be a part of the community. I'm, I'm passionate about that. I, I, you know, and I've, I'm a faithful kind of man. I'm, I'm a spiritual kind of man. So I think that speaks to what I believe spiritually and faithfully as well. Um, so yeah, it's, it's important to me. It's important to my family. Plus I, I love, uh, I love making people smile and I love, I love providing good energy to people as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, imagine Tim, thanks for sharing a little bit of your stories. Don't go anywhere cause we're not done with you yet, but we're going to move over to Mr. Neil Murphy. <laughs> That's the way turf. <laughs> Neil, thanks for being here this morning. Appreciate you having me. So, uh, Neil is another one that gives back to the community. You jumped aboard this year and uh, as well as one of my sponsors for trivia. So I, I appreciate that. So. And, uh, you do a lot within the Bato County area. Um, you have taken over a role for a co-host as the Carville business club. Um, so if you don't mind, just share a little bit about your background, then we'll talk about grassroots. All right. So I'm uh, born and bred in New England, actually in Boston. So my first 30 years there, almost in, I think the same house the whole time. Um, you know, grade school, I went to Boston College High School in Dorchester, and then I went to college, uh, Stonehill College in Northeastern. Um, myself and all my, my sister and all my brothers, we all went there. Um, and then I got married in 98, sorry, got married in 96, and then we moved down to Charlotte in 98 for better weather. Boston's a great place to grow up as a kid, but when you get as an adult, the snow can really get on you. It, it gets a little <laughs> bit more difficult. So we moved down to Charlotte in uh, 98. And then I worked for a law firm down there, but I'm a technology guy by trade. I'm not a lawyer. Um, and then I, in 2004, we kept coming down to Atlanta because the uh, the law firm that I worked for is based down here. And I actually have one of my brothers actually lives in Woodstock and has been down here since 93. Okay. Um, so I have two kids. Both were born in Charlotte. So I have a 24-year-old son um, who graduated from UGA just a few years ago and now works for uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers in Atlanta. And then I have a 22-year-old daughter who went to Kennesaw. I know yes, you're an owl, right? Yes. And um, she's now the manager of the Paul Meadow Moon here in Canton. But she's like a also an entrepreneur as well. She's run a few of her own kind of smaller businesses, which is pretty uh, fun um, and exciting. I am divorced. So I got divorced a few years ago. But my ex-wife and I get along great. She lives down in Dallas with her parents. And I'm obviously now over in um, Cartersville. And, um, and everything's going pretty great. Well, you, you talked about the Boston. And it was funny because, you know, last week was extremely cold. Very. And you and I got there early. I always get there early, set up chairs for the CBC, and you said, this is what I got away from Boston. Exactly. So I thought exactly. you brought it with you, but. <laughs> I came down here to get away from it, so. So well, we talked about it because, like I said, you're very active. You, you're you also a, now a chamber ambassador. I am. For the Officially chamber. this year. Yep. Officially this year, yep. Um, and you do a lot of things. I said, like I said, the co-host for the CBC. So why is it important for you to be part of the community? So I'm a new, like a franchise owner the last four years with Grassroots, right? And so it's the first time I've actually been a business owner before. And so many people helped me out, especially those first couple of years to kind of get going because everything was so new to me. I was in a, you know, 
new type of business environment. I was in a new, you know, city working with different people and, you know, I, I just needed a lot of help. And, you know, the chamber was great. Cartersville Business Club was great. And so, you know, I get to the point where, you know, I kind of built up the bi- business big enough that I could then afford the time to do so. That first year or so, I was out in the field spraying lawns, you know, with my technician, you know, every day, all day, and then trying to kind of work at night to kind of keep the business going. This past year, 2023, was probably the first year that I actually had time to kind of get back out there and give back because now I had two technicians and then I have a part-time administrative assistant so she could do a lot of the office stuff for me. And so I was able to, you know, participate a lot more in the business club, right? You saw me there almost every week. Um, I go to a lot of, uh, like, chamber events. I go to a lot of different events around town when I can. Even though I'm a chamber ambassador this year officially, I went to a lot of ribbon cuttings last year as many as I could. I tried to... um, in Facebook this past year, just, you know, post about a lot of that, you know, not just about, you know, my business, obviously I'm trying to, you know, you know, sell my services as well, but I'm trying to, you know, help others who have helped me. So, you know, I try to post about their businesses, maybe people who have provided me services, you know, want to give them a shout out because um, I want their business to be successful as well. And I really enjoy doing that. Right. Well, that's the thing when we don't talk about that, but being very, getting active when you're networking, don't just come, you got to get active, right? And so, well, I think we've all done that, but you, you've really done that this year too. So, um, so you also do jujitsu. I do. I do. You have to do that to keep you in shape, or I do. So I did taekwondo over ten years ago, and my ex-wife and I did that because our daughter was doing it. And so instead of watching the class, I said, "Hey, why don't you guys do it too?" So we did that. That was a lot of fun. So my wife and I, my ex-wife and I, and our daughter, both black belts, all black belts in taekwondo. That's cool. Nice. But that was over ten years ago. And so as I came to, uh working with grassroots, I probably lost 30 pounds in my first year or so because out spraying lawns, it's a lot of uh, physical activity, which right. felt great. It was awesome. Eating a lot better. Um, but then as I had a few people working for me, I was in the office more and I was like, uh-oh, you know what I mean? Like the weight was starting to come back on. I wasn't feeling as good. So I tried to look for, I, I'm not going to go to a gym. I'll sign up for a gym, but I won't go. I know I won't. Right. But I love, we did a little bit of jiu-jitsu when I was doing taekwondo. And so I said, oh, I wonder if there are some facilities around here. And I did find one. There are several in the Cartersville area, but I found one up on Main Street that I joined uh, last year, a year ago, February. Um, great bunch of people, you know, was there kind of several times a week. They unfortunately had to close in December of this year. Um, I think the, you know, the lease got raised, but they opened up a new facility in Ackworth, which is probably twice the size and it's great down there. I just couldn't afford the time to kind of drive down there. It's just, you know, too far, several times a week. Um, so I found, uh, another place, Team Octopus, which I just joined yep. last week. Right. So I've been going kind of two to three times a week and I'm, I'm kind of feeling good again. I'm, a little, nice. I'm, I'm actually sore right now because of it, but, uh. After a few weeks, I'll be I'll be back into it again. Can so, you explain the difference between that and Taekwondo? So Taekwondo is more like striking, kind of on your feet. Whereas Jiu-Jitsu, you go into the ground and you're kind of wrestling. And so I like Jiu-Jitsu better. One, is it really is a better workout, um, you know, physically. But two, if you ever get in any type of, you know, altercation, hopefully you don't, at some point you go into the ground. And once you're on the ground, you're not getting back up again. So you got to know how to, you know, defend yourself and, and kind of deal with things. So, right. And I love it. Awesome. It's a lot of fun, and I met some great people. There you go. Yep. Well, we t- we talked about it, so share. I, I know you've got several stories, but share a positive story of the networking you've done. All right, so I'll give you a <laughs> – it really surprised me. So Brian and I know Ann Say. She's a brand photographer, and so you know these networking groups are great, but we you know people try to have one-on-ones outside of that. So Ann and I had a one-on-one because I was interested in doing some brand photography. So she and I met at the coffee shop, and I'm coming – you know, I've got notes, and I've got all these questions, and I know she had a tight schedule that day. She, you know, we were meeting at 10. She had a meeting at 11. I said, okay. And I'm ready to dive right in. We probably spent the first half an hour just talking about like personally each other. And I wasn't ready for that, but Ann started that way. And I'm like, I'm looking at my watch, like, 
are we ever going to talk about like, you know, you know, the business? And I was, and then I realized she had done that on purpose to kind of like build our relationship together, which, you know, made our business relationship that much better. And then I, you know, realized, and, and I had never done that. Like in, in Boston, we kind of didn't one-on-one that way. It was just, you, yeah, you're friends, but you kind of talk about business here. It was like totally different. It was really weird. And so ever since then, every one-on-one I've had, you know, I've, I've approached it that way and others have as well. And I've just established some really great relationships with some awesome people. And that's turned into, you know, not only business relationships, but really great friendships. Well, and we, uh, we do a thing with the Carswell Business Club, uh, every so often the reciprocity ring. And the first time we did it, you asked for some stuff and you walked away with well, how many referrals? Like, like three. Like I needed, um, I was using an accountant out of Houston and, and I'm trying to bring things more local, right? So I was looking for a local accountant. So our friend, you know, Jay recommended someone right away. And so now I, I've since hired that person. It's working great. I mean, you know, my accountant, I'm trying to work with more local social media people, local SEO people, you know, all the digital kind of marketing right. things I've been doing. And it's been great. It's been yeah. awesome. Really much better relationships. Much and, more and, I, and I think that's cool because, you know, a lot of people, again, they come in and they want to think about themselves and sell, sell, sell. Whereas, you know, if you're there to help from other people and somebody asks for something, I mean, I. You know, when you asked for it, I sent you a ton of people, right? Right. So it's Brian knows a lot of people. <laughs> um, so I, I, again, we talked about you being involved in our community, but why is it important to be part of the community? I just, I mean, we talk a lot about like giving back, but again, you know, so many people helped me, you know, when I first started out a few years ago as a business owner, you know, I was just extremely grateful because you cannot do it on your own. You just can't, you think you can, you can't. And, you know, as I got to the point where I now had time to do that for others, I started doing more of that, either hiring people to provide services for me or just, you know, kind of like what you do, Brian, you know, providing people referrals or recommendations or directing people over to someone, you know, for service. Um, it's just, you know, we, we talk about kind of collaboration, right? Over yep. competition, yep. right? We're trying to like collaborate with each other, help each other both personally and professionally. So it just just it's a great feeling doing so and i love the collaboration over competition because there's multiple insurance agencies there's multiple mortgage people real estate but not everybody does the same thing right and there's plenty of business out there for everybody um and of course there's people that you know like and trust and people that you don't know like and trust so <laughs> <That's true. laughs> uh, you want to share a little bit about the cbc when we meet and all that good stuff so the cartersville business club as far as i know has been in place about two two and a half years almost three I think years there was yep. some history kind of yep. prior to that and i yep. think it um so we meet every wednesday at eight o'clock at the unity grounds coffee shop um in right outside of downtown uh, cartersville um, so we network from like eight to eight thirty, and then from eight thirty to nine thirty, we have a more quote unquote kind of formal meeting. You know, going around the room, people can kind of share um, information about the businesses. We do a lot of shout outs. We have some special education um, sessions. Uh, uh, we have some kind of member profiles. People will talk more about their you know business in more detail, or maybe something you know right. personal about them, which right. has also been helpful. And um, we get a good crowd, about you know thirty to forty people. Even when you know that day it was yeah. ten degrees, twelve degrees, I was surprised. We I got was a, too. We got a full yeah. crowd there. And every so often, you'll have three people give dad jokes. So <laughs> <laughs> I need to go there. Yes, yeah, a lot of you fun. Do. You should come. Everybody is welcome. There Doesn't you go. cost you anything. That's right. Um, all right, so let's talk a little bit about grassroots. All right. Uh, as you mentioned, it's a franchise. It is. So first of all, how did you decide to go from? Working in a law firm, being in tech world, yeah. and then get into the grassroots. So, I mean, you know, a little over 30 years of, you know, going into an office every day, you know, the, you know, the, the commute, the, you know, office politics that you've just seen the same people every day. I just, 
just kidding. And you and you put on the weight a little bit, right? I call it the office weight. You you definitely do. And it, and it's time consuming. Like I'd be leaving, you know, my house six in the morning. I might not get back until seven at night because of uh, you know, the commute and traffic and stuff like that. Um, and so, and I always wanted to, you know, at some point, kind of kind of own and run my own business, you know. But as you know, I was up towards fifty. I'm like, well, am I going to start something from scratch? What can I do? And someone said, oh, why don't you um, why don't you consider franchising? I'm like, oh, franchising. What do you think about? You think about food, right? You know, I don't want to own a subway. That's not what I want to do. They're like, no, no, no. So I went to a um, uh, franchise expo um, here in Atlanta. I met Josh Wise from Grassroots, who I kind of knew, but not on, I wasn't friends with him, but I knew about him. He had just started to franchise. This was the end of 2019. Um, so long story short, um, I'm franchisee number four, and there are now 12 of us over the last, you know, four or five years. And we're adding a few more kind of every year. So there are corporate office or that main office is located down in Ackworth, which is only about 11, 12 miles from my kind of base of operations in Cartersville. Um, but again, we have, so 12 different franchise owners, most are in Georgia, but we cover three other, they're in three other states, uh, North Carolina, Louisiana, Mississippi, and they'll soon be one in uh, Alabama. And a lot of us own multiple territories. So I own two, which is, I call it grassroots North Georgia, but it's that whole kind of Cartersville, Rome, Calhoun area, and then all the way over kind of this way towards Ball Ground, Jasper, all the way over to Dawsonville and Dahlonega. So okay. a good physical right. territory, right. but I'm, you know, I'm only going about, you know, 20, 30 miles right now. But right. The idea is to scale over time. So should share exactly what you guys do. So we, it's tough to, so we don't cut grass and we don't <laughs> install it, right? So I'm not a landscaper. I'm not a grass cutter. So we're the ones who spray the lawns for, you know, he likes for, the weeds. You know, green green grass and no weeds. That's kind of what I say, right? So we're the ones that kind of like a true green. That's kind of the big company that everybody knows about, but we're more kind of local. And I think we provide better, better quality. Um, but the idea is, you know, keep their grass green, kind of keep the weeds out. You know, if there are issues like insects, fungus, things like that, you know, those are, you know, special circumstances and we'll address those as well. So uh, I got a few questions on that. So you shared something not too long ago at CBC that I even thought about, about when the leaves were falling. Right. Talk about about that, because I just assumed you just leave them go or you rake them up or whatever. But why is it important? What a lot of people do is they'll let all the leaves fall and then they'll rake them. They might not even rake them once they finish falling. They'll wait until the end of the season, then rake them. And that's really bad, right? So even though especially warm season grasses will go dormant, right? They'll start to turn brown and people are like, oh, well, I don't need to worry about it. That's not true, right? Grass still needs sunlight and it still needs water. And if you have all those leaves or like pine needles, things like that, that doesn't allow the sunlight to get in there and it doesn't allow water to kind of permeate and distribute kind of properly. So it really is, and, and you know, you want your grass to look good, but right. so you want to get that all off the grass, the sticks, the branches, um, get as much of that off the lawn as you can. And your grass will be a lot healthier come springtime. When you guys spray, are you? Is there certain kinds of spray that you use? Things of that nature. So lots of different types of chemicals, right? So certain chemicals you can use on certain grasses, not others. Certain you can only use in certain amounts, either in a given year or in a given application. Um, and certain products you can combine together. Certain ones you can't. So you got to be kind of kind of knowledgeable about all those things. So. We're mixing chemicals in the trucks every day, depending on what our applications are, kind of like that day and that week. All that's, um, you know, recorded. You know, I track all that. Um, you know, we spray so many gallons a minute per kind of 1,000 feet and kind of gives us an idea as to how much chemicals we need to cover a particular property based on the size. 
And so, yeah, there's just there's a lot of math. There's right. a lot of math that right. goes on day and in and day out. Not all grass is the same either, right? Correct. Correct. So how do you figure out what to use for what grass? So most of the grass that people are aware of, the stuff that turns brown in the wintertime, that's considered the warm season grass. Around here, it's mostly either Bermuda or Zoysia. There is some centipede here, though we don't like to see it around here. It really belongs more, you know, middle Georgia down into Louisiana where it's more kind of moist. It, it thrives a lot better down here. So um, so we do our best with, with centipede and that St. Augustine up here. Fescue is the other one. So fescue is the grass that's quote-unquote green all year long. The problem is the temperatures in North Georgia are really not conducive for it. So you really struggle, especially during the summertime, to keep your fescue grass green and even alive um, just because of the sun and the heat. So tends to do better as, as you get more towards the Carolinas, or if you have an area that's very shaded, you know, wooded areas, shaded backyard, things like that, the fescue will do a lot better. The fescue grass is also, well, people talk about overseeding. So you don't overseed a warm season grass. It grows in addition to vertically, it grows horizontally. So it can fill itself in and there are ways to promote that. Fescue grass doesn't work that way, right? Every seed creates a clump, but the clumps together create a lawn. Once you lose a clump of fescue, it's gone. And not not to be you know recovered unless you reseed, and that's something you do every fall. So when people talk about overseeding, they're really talking about fescue, or they should be talking about fescue, and that's it's you know so its growing season is like fall through spring, and then you're trying to maintain in the summer. Warm season grasses are the opposite: growing season, spring through fall, and then it goes dormant in the winter. So it's fairly easy to maintain as long as you keep the the leaves and the sticks off. What about because I, I know some of our neighbors they put like turf down. You know, I've seen them come in with the, just the squares of grass and they put them. Oh, sod. Sod. There yeah. you go. Down. So even though it's like, you know, warm season grasses can fill in, but if you have like a, you know, a mass, it, it's, I mean, it'll fill in over time, right? Small areas, you know, four, four or less kind of in diameter, you could probably fill that in over a season. But when you have like a whole front yard you need to redo, then obviously you'd bring in, you know, pallets of sod that you get at a, at a sod farm, which is grass that's already been grown, cut up in squares or, you know, rectangles and then you kind of lay that all down eventually that kind of grows together and then you have a nice lawn so that's just a quick way to do it but it also is expensive all right man you just maintain that the same way like you're like you're talking about with the spring and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. That? yeah i mean once it's you know once it's fully rooted so once it's established then you would treat it just like any other lawn okay yep um what about i know like my mom's backyard is pretty much just um it's not really it's not mold what am i what's the word i'm looking moss. for moss yep uh well moss it's all the same thing right <laughs> tomato tomato uh, do you guys have anything for moss? So yes, but moss is environmental and I try to explain that to people. So moss is there for a reason. It's usually too much water, not enough sun, or just the soil is not great, probably too compacted. So even though they make products that can kind of get rid of moss, it's only temporary. The moss is always going to come back unless something in the environment has changed. Unless you bring in some more sunlight, you redirect some water away, or perhaps you can, you know, soil amendments or bring in some, some better soil to allow the grass to grow better. So we get that question a lot and I, you know, we have products like Moss X. There are some products that can kind of quote unquote, get rid of the moss, rid of the moss, but it's only temporary. It's coming back because of the environment. So right. I just say my, my term is embrace it, right? If, because people, some people like love their trees. You can, I mean, there are some amazing things people can do with moss to make it look really, you know, you know, pretty. They, um, you know, put some kind of benches around it. Some people have built little like, hmm, kind of like, put a dry creek bed between it, put a little bridge over it. I mean, some amazing, I've got some pictures of some of the things our customers have done with their kind of moss areas that look beautiful. Wow. Um, so uh, I just had a question and it went in my head. Hang on. Um, 
Well, uh, this is what I was going to ask. Kind of the same thing when you're looking for agent. When you're looking for a service like yours, there's, again, multiple services out there. What's the best way to go about choosing the right one? I mean, it, it depends on what it's important to you. Obviously, you know, price is important. You know, what you want your grass to look like, what type of communication you do or don't want with a service provider, you know. I mean, I'm not the – I always say I'm not the cheapest out there, but I want to be the best, right? So I want to provide a good, you know – quality service. I want to be able to communicate with customers. I want to do it at a reasonable price. Um, if there are issues come up, I want to be able to work with the homeowner to kind of work through some of those. So a lot of homeowners that maybe switch from some of the larger companies, it's always the same thing, right? You know, different technician every time. They don't come when they say they were going to. They're not really communicating with me. They charge me for something I didn't ask for. Um, I've been, you know, I'm waiting for a supervisor to come out and they still haven't come, you know, things like right. that. And so, you know, I'm very aware of that. And I'm, again, we're small enough and local enough that we can address those. And I kind of want to stay that way. You know what I mean? Right. Like, right. I think when you get too big, it, you know, those things start to right. come into play. So you got to be, you got to be careful. I'll throw this into when you talked about the price, uh, you know, even if it may not be the most expensive or the least expensive, it all comes to your relationship too, right? If you can't trust them. So I have a question. Uh, you mentioned the certain areas that you service. You can't really go to other areas if there's already somebody in those areas, right? But what if, what if the person wants you specifically, how do you handle that? So, you know, I'm, you know, I am bound by contract so I can, our territories are by zip code. And I've been asked this many times. Mm -hmm. <laughs> One is you, Brian, right? <laughs> so, and I'm kind of, Cartersville is kind of like the uh, a Southern side of where my territory is. I do go into Emerson, but then that's as far as I go. In fact, I have to cut through Canton on Highway 20 to get over to Ballground, and there are two neighborhoods I pass by all the time, but I can't service those because those are technically a Canton address. Those are a Canton zip code. Um, so, yeah, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be, right. I don't, I don't want to say I want to be caught in those zip codes. I would never do that. But I, the same reason, if I saw a grassroots truck that wasn't mine in one of my zip codes or areas, I'd, I'd kind of have an issue with that, right? right? I mean, right. why would they be doing that and vice versa? And but, it, it comes up all the time. So, um you know, I try to work with whatever franchise owner or the corporate office kind of owns that area to say, hey, this is a good customer of mine. It's their son who has a place down here. You know, make sure you take good care of him. I want you to know these two right. guys are kind of related. And, you know, they'd like me to go down there. I can't. So do the best you can to to do what I would do. And is that typical <laughs> with all of the basically kind of all franchises, I'm guessing? Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, here in this area, a lot of our franchisees uh, butt up against each other. Right. So four or five of us, maybe six of us, but up against each other. But, you know, the guy in Charlotte, North Carolina, it's just him. So he doesn't have to, you know, there aren't any other grassroots franchise there yet. Um, the guys in Louisiana by Baton Rouge, they're the only ones. The guy in Jackson, Mississippi, the only one. But as, you know, as we have more franchisees in those areas, you know, that that issue will come up. And the idea is, again, we're collaboration too. We're franchise, we're trying to help each other. We're not trying to compete against each other, right. you know, because if, you know, if, if they go do a great job that helps out me and if i do a great job that helps out them especially if we're geographically right close together right um all right so you've already given the tidbit about the leaves is there any other tidbits people for their lawns because i know when i was growing up i never we never i never saw trucks like yours going around spraying and stuff like that so yep. i'm guessing it might be a fairly new type of industry but what kind of uh other tidbits can you share so aside from keeping things off the lawn keep especially during the growing season keep the grass cut on a regular basis right so one of the reasons you know weeds even if you're having sprayed it you know even though weeds will pop is if you give them time to do so so if you're cutting your grass on a regular basis in warm season grasses once a week i would say minimum 
I do my my office property. I'm doing it every four days. I'm not suggesting a homeowner do that, but at least every week. But some of my customers are like, oh, I do it every two weeks or I do it every week and a half. It really is too long because Bermuda grows really quick. And so you give the ability for especially weeds that you might not see yet to kind of pop up. Um, and by the time a week and a half, two weeks comes along, then we're, you know, now we're chasing it. You know what I mean? And now it looks kind of worse than it probably would have otherwise. So kind of on a regular basis. Well, is there a certain like, how do you determine how low or how high you cut your grass? I, so Bermuda grass, ideal, inch to an inch and a half. Some people like to go higher. Some people go lower like a real mower, get it like carpet. You can do that too. Um, a lot of it depends on just the kind of contour of the property, right? So if you don't want to run a mower and you have like a little rut and all of a sudden it just like grinds everything, you got to kind of factor that in. So you don't want to be, you don't want, you know, bare dirt anywhere, right? As long as you right. have grass, that's good. Right. But inch to an inch and a half for Bermuda, a little bit higher for Zoysia, maybe close to inch and a half to two. And then fescue a little bit higher, three to three to four inches. Okay. Yep. Two other questions on this. So one, uh, I know my mom's yard has little seedlings and little pine trees that come up, right? Yep. Do you guys have stuff that takes care of that as well? So no, and there actually isn't a product. So those are uh, the seedlings from like a pine tree mm-hmm. in the area. So the best thing for those is cut them. Because once that's one, if you actually cut it, you're going to damage it, and within um, a few weeks, they'll actually all die. So just mow them. Okay. And if you could mow them up, like mow them and bag them, right? Um, that would be better. But yeah, okay. there isn't really a it's it's a it's a tree is what it is. Right. So just like any other you know sapling that might be growing, if you just if you just kind of cut that, um, you'll damage it, and then eventually it'll die. Okay. Yep. And then what about those weeds that always look so cute and pretty, like they're very, like flowers, but they're really weeds, right? Like dandelions, things like that. I mean, you should. Ne- I mean, if you're getting your lawn treated, you should never see a dandelion. Those are the easiest ones. So the 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 weeds that are most difficult to eliminate are some of the grassy weeds, right? Dallas grass. A lot of people know about that. That's you know just very aggressive. Usually takes seasons to get rid of. You can actually go in and hit it with a Roundup to really kind of nuke it and get it out of there. But then you'll you'll nuke everything around it for a while. Um, Dallas grass, nutsedge is a big one that pops up. Um, these are things that don't have pre-emergent. Right. So it's, it's always, you have to see it first before you address it. So those, are kind of looks like fescue, but little mm-hmm. kind of thin blades of grass. Um, we do have products for that. And, um, oh, brooms, broom sedge is the other one. And it does, it looks like a broom and that's also, you know, it can be pretty aggressive and a grassy weed that's tough to address, but there are products for that. You just got to hit it hard and hit it often. Right. Yep. So I'm just curious. Cause I, you know, like I said, dandelions, they look really pre- pretty and cute. Why right. do they, how do they damage the yard? S- I mean, do they do, do they do any damage for your grass or something? You just I mean, so when weeds start to grow, what they do is they, you know, they take the area that the grass should be. So it actually kind of like, you know, it can damage like turf roots and kind of like kind of quote unquote move the grass out of the way. So once you get rid of the weed, now you have a little kind of bare spot again. And if you have, and I, someone mentioned crabgrass, I heard you guys yeah. whispering crabgrass. It's true. If, you know, crabgrass is very aggressive. And if that, you know, I've had lawns, crabgrass has taken over to most of the lawn. Well, once you get rid of it, what do you have left? I mean, it's, it's dirt. So the, the quicker you can stay on top of that, um, those types of weeds, the better, because some of them can grow quite quickly. So how about the dreaded kudzu? So, um, we don't really, I mean, you see that on the side of the road. I, I can't say I've ever seen that on a customer's property unless their property was right up to, um, you know, like, uh, the highway or something like that. Right. We have had that, but, um, you know, we don't have products for that, but we'll call the, you know, the local city or state and, um, and they'll come over and treat it. Okay. Yeah. It's an invasion. What's that? It's an invasion. Exactly. And that, I mean, <laughs> that's true. Impressive. It, it's, it's, it's bad. It's right. Bad. Yep. All right. So these next couple of questions are going to be for both Madge and Neil. So, um, Madge, first of all, give somebody some advice for who might be thinking about starting their own business. 
question. Don't do it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, do your research, um, honestly. Um, I When I first started, I didn't know enough about accounting. Um, so I had to hire a CPA, which is the best thing. So that would be one thing that I would say is definitely get people that are experts in their area. Um, hire a CPA that can help you out with your taxes and just balancing your books and things like that. Especially if you do, uh, as an independent agency, we have several different companies. So I have several different people that are paying me. So you have to keep up with all that. You know, it's not just one company. Um, definitely hire a CPA. Make sure that you are prepared to hire people and train them. Um, I believe in a servant leadership, you know, so you've got to be able to give to other people and make sure that they're learning from you and have some money right? (laughs) because it does take money and time. Right. And then I think people too forget about the marketing aspect of it. Yeah. You got to have marketing, you have good marketing ideas. Um, And I think we've done a real good job with that. Uh, It's very rewarding. I mean, if anybody has an entrepreneurial, you know, tendency, definitely start your own business, but it is hard work. Oh yeah, you know, but once you get in there and you get it done, and you hire the right people like Mister Rogers. <laughs> I'm you can painfully have entrepreneurial. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you a little bit about, a little bit about the marketing because I need, like we said, you do a lot of networking, you do a lot of giving back. So I you know when we got a banner for you at St. Angelo's, it stays up all year long. Things of that nature. What are your uh, marketing avenues that you that, that you do? Well, locally in Paulding County, um, I actually give to the local high schools. So we're on their football team, the the big scoreboard, and Family Alliance of Paulding has been one of my uh, charities that I give to every year. <clears throat> Excuse me. They help families that have been displaced or separated for some reason, and they have a visitation center so they can get together. Um, as far as marketing, we do – oh, yeah, we do money pages. They do our online marketing. So we have um, ads that are uh, like if you're scrolling through Facebook, you'll mm-hmm. see our ad. Actually, a couple of weeks ago, I was scrolling through it and I saw my own ad. I was like, "Hey!" <laughs> <laughs> and then we're in the local Woodstock Money Pages magazine. Okay, well. I know a lot of people in business. The first thing they cut is marketing when things are bad, and that's the last thing you should cut. That is the last thing you should cut. You're right. You're right. So, Got to keep your name out there. Yep. Yep. Neil, uh, so you went the other way and did it, like you said, a franchise. Mm-hmm. But uh, so this is kind of a twofold question. Somebody starting their own business and then maybe somebody's thinking about the franchise way. What kind of advice would you give them? So I, I think the franchise is a great option for people who are talking about like me, who are thinking about, you know, starting their own business later in life. Right. Because I think, you know, Madge would probably say if, you know, if you're starting truly from scratch, you know, if you're in your 20s or 30s, that's a lot easier because you've got a lot more years to kind of work through things and it's probably going to take a bit longer, right? When you're older, you don't, I don't have that type of time. I have like, you know, 15, 20 years maybe. It's like, all right. So when you come into a franchise, a lot of the basics have been done. Now we're just trying to make things better, right? So I didn't have to figure out what type of truck I needed to buy. I was, I was told, you know, and the vendor, everything was all set. And then I could kind of like tweak it a little bit to, to, to what I thought I needed. Um, it just saved me a ton of time, probably saved me a ton of money, you know, without having to loan a lot of those things. But, you know, like Matt said, just, you know, y- you still have to kind of work at it. You've got to get the accountant, you know, you've, you've got to surround yourself with people who can help you because you cannot do it yourself. I mean, right. I've always said it's, it's probably one of the hardest things I've ever done the last couple of years, but it's also been the most rewarding. I mean, I'm so, you know, proud of what I've been able to accomplish, but I did not do it by myself by any stretch, you know? Right. Um, and I'm, and I'm still, you know, 
pulling in people all the time to kind of help me out, to help me get me to the, to the next step. And, and, I, and it's been a lot of fun. Right. Same thing on the marketing side for you. I know again, you're networking. I've got a poster up for you, uh, at the, at St. Angelo's. I know you do some other things. Um, on the franchise side of marketing, I know some franchises, they have their, they have to use a certain, you know, uh, agency or things of that nature, but what all can you guys do uh, for marketing? So the nice thing, at least, you know, we're kind of new grassroots is new in terms of franchising the last couple of years is there's a lot of flexibility. Some of the companies that have been doing it for years, you kind of basically told what to do, which is fine because they know it works. We're kind of learning what works and what doesn't. So the first couple of years, you know, new franchise owners, we just have them do a lot of the basics, kind of direct mail, um, maybe things in like a money page, you know, certain magazines and things like that. But a lot of us, the last couple of years have been exploring, um, you know, a lot of the digital marketing, right? You know, a lot of SEO stuff. We did a lot of things with Facebook this year. All of our mm-hmm. franchise owners, this was the 2020, was the first year we had our own Facebook pages and we really started pushing those, which was super helpful. I do a lot of stuff on my own personal page to kind of like, kind of push the business at the, at the same time. I've, you know, I've wrote the expert article for the first Cartersville Living Magazine that came out like last month. I'm trying to sponsor different events, you know, I yep. mean, your organization, yep. Brian, I've done several things for the chamber, you know, just trying to get the name out there. Cause I was, you know, my first couple of years, I was surprised how many people in Cartersville said, Oh, grassroots. I've never heard of it. And I'm like, Oh, why, no, like, why not? <laughs> so it's like, what does it take to do that? And I'm obviously a big networker, right? So I'm probably one of the only franchise owners and grassroots that's really big on networking as kind of a marketing tool. It's not the only reason. I, in fact, it's probably not the primary reason I do it. I just enjoy doing it but it's turned out to really help my business because it's introduced me to a lot of people and it's introduced a lot of people to me in my business. And that in and of itself has turned into um, additional customers for me, which has been great. Right. So, so I'm curious, have you ever sat down and had a martial arts conversation with Caitlin? You know, she's got a martial arts background. Yeah. <laughs> and her, her martial arts is something very unique. Yes, and, I it could, is. and I couldn't tell you what it is right now. If, Go back and listen to an old show she was on. It's quite interesting. Yeah. And you'd be surprised at how many, I mean, people just have such good, it, this is what you learn, right? People have such good, interesting backgrounds. Uh, it, now that people know I do jujitsu, but I've heard, I didn't know there were so many martial arts right. out there. And Caitlin's one of them. I still don't understand what it is. She's explained it to me, but. Yeah, I couldn't either, but it's definitely impressive. Yep. So, Tim, I have a question for you. This goes along to kind of an employee question. So people out there who don't want to do a business, but they're looking for jobs, they're not happy at their job. Um, what's the best way to go about looking, finding the right place to work? Ooh, that's a very good question and, and a challenging one at that, right? Because there's, there's, everybody's going to have different factors that they think are super important. Um, from personal experience, what I look for, if I'm, wanting to work under someone or for someone. Um, Number one is uh, I'm always looking for personal relationship, right? How relatable can this owner or or boss be? How personal are they? You know, this is tough because his boss is. Yeah, I know. Well, it's it's tough because she's right next to me, but I mean, it's, but it's a good way to learn, but but it's, but it's not really because I've told her all these things you know, when me and Madge met, I was pretty impressed with, with, with Madge just as an individual, great presence, great personality. Um, but you can kind of tell the genuineness and the authenticity that's there just from a conversation. So that's first and foremost, something that I, I think people should, should really lean into and pay attention to, you know, whoever you're interviewing or getting in front of or being asked to, to, to speak with for employment opportunity, you know, how well can you read that person? Right. Because with the inter- with the interview process, I think it's less about your background and experience, and it's really more about the um, 
about the exper the experience of meeting that person and how you, you know, how you represent yourself, how they represent yourself. You know, in an interview, both of you are doing the same thing. You know nothing about each other, but you're interested in the position. You know, the, the, the boss or the owner is interested in hiring you as an employee. You, the potential employee is interested in the business, right? So you're both learning about each other. I think that's the first thing. Obviously, benefits, all the extra perks and things that can come with working for an employer. That's another thing that uh, is important. But I also try to be forward thinking and look past just this year, six months, you know, do I believe this can be a place that I can grow and, and still want to be a part of, you know, five years down the line, 10 years down the line, even longer. And that's the most challenging, right? right. Because it's hard to figure that out when there isn't already an existing relationship but you like the personality of the person you're meeting with and, right. you, and you think it's a good opportunity. So some of that you do have to figure out on your own as you get hired. Uh, but like Matt said, do your research, right? Look around, look, look reviews for the, you know, whatever industry you're a part of or whatever you're looking for. Get as much recon, if you will, on the company, how long they've been in business. What are people saying about them? Right. And then you also make your own decision on what you think about that, right? about that business owner and their business. So you just thought about, I've never asked this for other, for other people. So I'm going to ask you this. And then I got two more questions for imagine Neil, but, uh, on as an interviewee, what, how do you prepare for an interview? Oh, this is great. Cause I had a, there was a former position in sales that I had where I actually had to do this, um, quite often. I think the best way to prepare. So you're asking me how to prepare for an interview. Correct. Right. Okay. Being interviewed though, right? right. Not give, okay. Correct. Um, dress to impress always. Mom and dad were real big on that in, in my upbringing. Dress to impress. Um, first impressions are the best impressions. Uh, I truly believe that. If you can give off and provide a really good impression of who you are and who you say you are and then who you want to be, I think that speaks volumes and will go a long way. Um, I do think when it comes to the interview process, interviewers, headhunters, recruiters, business owners, they hire people that they like, right? Uh, whether it be the, the personality or a combination of all those different things, but presence, personality, uh, background, uh, you know, you find different things that you can relate on. So as someone wanting to go through an interview, Always think about those things, giving good eye contact, but you don't want to be that person that's only looking at the eyes the entire time. Right. And that's way too eyes are up here. Right. That's way, <laughs> way too intimidating. So, you know, we laugh at these things, but there's a method, right? There's what's that phrase? There's a method to the madness. Mm -hmm. It's true. There's a method to how you want to go through an interview process. Um, but I, I really do think it comes back to what's important to you. You want to look well, you want to, you want to speak well. You don't want to lie though. You want to be honest, you know, right. you want to be transparent. Um, and, and you're also looking for that in a business owner, right? Yeah. Um, or at, at least I think you should. Right. Right. So I got two funny stories on the end being interviewed. Uh, 1997, you guys remember U.S. Play, now Bolero there on Barra Parkway. So right after it opened, I had lost a job. So I was kind of looking and I went in. I was in my suit, tie, you know, and everything. And I cut myself shaving. So I had a bandage going all the way down my lip <laughs> and went in and and they hired me and the manager of the day that my first day on the job came to me. He said, I'm going to tell you the only reason I hired you is because you came in with that bandage on your face. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> right. But then on the other hand, I had a uh, ingrown toenail probably thing and, and went into a job interview wearing sandals. Cause that's the only thing I could wear. And the guy fussed at me. So, wow. but it's true. I mean, you know, <laughs> right. Dressed to impress. So, all right, Madge, Neil, this is both for you. I'll start with Madge as an interviewer. 
how do you how would you suggest somebody preparing for an interview and how do you also this is a two-parter how do you also handle somebody who's extremely nervous and maybe not have ever done an interview before a good question. Um, actually, I'm going to use Stacy as an example of a, a great interviewee. Stacy, um, Stacy Balls, who who is our newest agent in Hiram, she had not been in the insurance industry before, but she definitely did her homework. She Googled us, you know, on our website, and she looked us up on Facebook, and she did a little research about the insurance industry itself. So she was a great interview, uh, interviewee, I guess. Um, she came in. She had a list of questions that she wanted to find out about the insurance industry and the agency specifically. She answered all my questions. And again, she wasn't new to the insurance industry. So one of, one or two of the questions I ask are about the industry, about specific policy information. And she was able to answer those. So I knew that she was interested. You know, that impressed me. She was interested. She was knowledgeable. She already did some for research. So you want to see people that do that. Um, Tim was a different interviewee. <laughs> I was experienced. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> he was experienced, but we also met talking about networking mm-hmm. and giving back. We met at Married a Business Association when he was working with Allstate, and I was working, well, obviously at Bird. So we were competitors, but not really. You know, we were friends, and I think we had exchanged some business before anyway. So I already knew Tim. I knew his um, personality. I knew the people that he knew. Uh, I knew his impression was good when he was with people. So it was a mu- much more relaxed interview. It was more of a conversation. And he had some questions as well. So I like it when they have questions for me, you know, because it's not all about me. Um, I mean, I want to tell them that what I expect of them, but I like them to ask questions of me, too, to find out where their head is. Right. That makes sense. Right. So, that answer your question? Yeah. Neil? Same question. Same question? Uh, I always go at it. I try to make an interviewee as comfortable as I can. I kind of do it for two reasons. I want them to feel comfortable. You know what I mean? I don't want them to be nervous. I don't. um, But I also want them to try to, like, I want to see if I can get their guard to come down because I want to see what they're really like. You know what I mean? Because sometimes you don't find out until they're actually working with you. Then you're like, man, I wish I would have known that in the interview. I'm all for what Tim said, you know, dress to impress. I'd prefer you overdress for an interview than, than under. Um, yes. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm okay right. with that. You know what right. I mean? Um, but it just, I want to know that people are taking the job seriously. And I know they might be interviewing lots of different places. I get it, but you know, I want to know that they're serious about this. So I want to make sure they're, you know, dressed appropriately. I want to make sure that they've done a little research, that they know what the job's about. Um, I like that they come in with certain questions or just any question, you know? Right. I mean, I've been in a lot of interviews where I said, Oh, you know, do you have any questions? Nope. And I'm like, really? Not like, not one. Right. Like, what, you, know, what, you know, what time do you come in every day? Like, you know, you, you could pay every two weeks. Exactly. I mean, there are a lot of basics you could ask if, if it wasn't covered. <laughs> right. But I think the biggest thing for me is really just trying to get people as comfortable as they can. So the conversation will just right. flow a lot nicer. And I think you can learn a lot more about someone that way. I think the young, the younger generation doesn't have that concept they because, uh, I mean, my stepson went interviews and he just sits there, even though they're asking questions. So, and, and some of it too, some of the ones that come straight out of college, there's no, uh, you know, experience, things of that nature. So, but again, they need to take the initiative to do the, the research, you know, and just ask questions to folks. And there's the so much education. Oh, sorry. Yeah. sorry. I was going to say, go, go ahead. ahead. If you interview them over text, they'll tell you more information. There, well, there you go. There you go. Listen, for anyone that's listening, I mean, I cannot stress this enough. There's so much free information out there for how you can prepare yourself for interviews. Okay. Regardless of the industry, uh, everything that's been said, I agree with a hundred percent. Most important, be yourself, right? Be who you are. Don't try to be someone you're not. Uh, yep. because eventually when that comes out, that can make or break your experience working for someone. 
right. or, 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 or being kept on. That's probably yeah. one of the reasons you got that job, Brian, with the Band-Aid, because that, I mean, I would have, if someone did that to me, I would have like, you know, they have enough confidence in themselves to say, hey, it happened. It happened. This is who I am. Right. What else am I going to do? But I'm here for the interview and I'm, I'm right. ready to go. You know? Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm curious, did you have to go through an interview process for a franchise? Uh, yes. Yep. So it's actually, it's something quite formal. I think it's even legally required. So um, it's called the Discovery Day. So I went to the grassroots corporate office. I basically spent the whole day there talking primarily with the CEO, but a lot of other people. And and we went, it was pretty rigorous. I mean, you know, we went through my background we talked a lot about grassroots, you know, what ideas I had, what I was looking for, what I wasn't looking for, because you don't want to bring on anybody. And there's a lot of franchisees. I know grassroots is turned away because, you know, you want to bring on, you know, the right type of person or group of people that are going to, um, you know, kind of promote and sell the product the way, you know, you want it to be sold. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. So when you want everybody to kind of get along together and we have, you know, our 12 franchise owners, we just had our, we meet uh yearly uh, that first week of January after the holidays. And um, it's like the best time of the year and we have so much fun together. Awesome. Yeah. All right, Matt. So if somebody's listening, wants to get a hold of you, learn about your services, talk to you about uh, needing help, things of that nature, how can they do that? They can call us at 770-439-7991. They can look us up on Facebook or they can go to our website, which is www.byrdinsu.com. Awesome. Neil, if somebody's listening and wants your services, even though they may not be in your, well, if they're in your area. Yep. And uh, even if they can't and they still want to get a hold of you and you can lead them the right way, how can they get a hold of you? Me personally? Yeah. So or your, 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 yeah, your business. Now. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so it's, you know, grassroots, our main, you know, website is grassroots, grassroots Hopefully that's easy to remember. We have a nice 800 number that we got a year or so back. It's like 833-66-GRASS, which is four or seven, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I have to put the number and the letters together, but we try to put grass in it. Um, and, you know, my personal cell, 678-459-7410. I have that on my business card. People call me all the time, and I'm happy to talk to them. Awesome. So as we wrap this up, I like I always like to do this. I like for my guests to share uh, a positive quote, nugget, word, whatever the case is, for my listening for the rest of 2024 and beyond with. So, Madge, what you got? Can I tell a joke? Sure. <laughs> it's going to be a bird no, joke. I mean, all right. Coming. Why do birds fly south for the winter? Keep warm. It's too far to walk. Oh, there you go. There you go. Nice. Tim, how about you? Uh, she's much better at the jokes than I am. I have to rehearse them and all those kinds of things. Um, uh, th- this is something I, I really have to tell myself consciously or subconsciously uh, each day. Um, always put your best foot forward. Um, I don't want to be cliche, but we're our worst enemies, right? Uh, your biggest enemy is the person that's looking back at you at the mirror every single day. So um, celebrate the small achievements and the small things that you can, the good things, right? The positive things, learn from the negative and the bad things um, and just continue to push yourself each day to, to, to do more and to go farther. Awesome. Neil. So I've heard it many times before, but someone just posted last week on Facebook, someone local, and they said, um, listen to understand don't listen to reply. And I'm like, and I need to be reminded of that so often because, you know, when you're in a conversation with someone, you're thinking about, oh, how am I going to reply to what they, and then you don't listen to what they said. And then 
you kind of miss everything. The, the more you can really listen to understand what someone's saying, I think the better relationship you can develop because you really do learn more about that person and hopefully vice versa. Right. Awesome. The last thing I do, uh, the thank you is a lost art these days. So, Madge, thanks for what you do with the communities that you're involved in, all the nonprofits that you help. Tim, thanks for what you do for your your clients, your customers, the community. And, Neil, thanks for what you do for CBC, the Bartow County area, and all the folks in and around that area. Everybody out there listening, remember, remember, let's be positive, let's be charitable.